0: All right, let's see, I want to uh, splash a little something on the board for you, Um, and that is I've got a couple of statements uh, for you, and I want to ask you which of these two statements is uh, more true of you or more applicable of you. The first one is, um, I am a great sinner, and then the second one is, Christ is a great Savior. And just wondering for you, which one is more you today? Which one applies to you more today? The first one, the first statement, I am a great sinner, is uh, it's, is true, right? It's it's uh, something we recognize from the scriptures, right? Isaiah, matter of fact, taught that, uh, um, that all of our righteousness was like what to God? Filthy rags, yes. And uh, it recognizes how far we are from God, how different we are from Him, and that He is perfect in holiness, and we are fallen and... As as I like to say, and my children remind me all the time, uh, we are lousy sinners, right? Uh, he is perfect and righteous and holy, and we are lousy sinners. The second one, though, is also true, isn't it, that Christ is a great Savior, amen? Um, and uh, if that's more where you're at today, um, we could talk about that all day too, couldn't we, is that the, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection is sufficient to take a bunch of lousy sinners and tra- translate them into the righteousness of God. That's pretty, pretty powerful work. That's heavy lifting, right? That's pretty amazing stuff. Um, both very true. One recognizes how very far we've fallen from God. The second one recognizes how very deep the love and how complete Christ's work is that he did on the cross. Um, but I want to tell you this. If you don't recognize that both of these are true, or if you don't remember that both of these are true, uh, then you're going to run into some trouble. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Uh, that I am a great sinner, but Christ is a greater Savior. Amen. I stole that shamelessly, of course, from, uh, what's his name, William Wilberforce, uh, right, in the uh, in the movie uh, that I don't remember the title of. Thank you. Yes. Yes, thank you very much. Okay. Um, yes, from Amazing Grace. Yeah, great movie, actually, if you've not seen it, about William Wilberforce and his attempts to uh, get rid of slavery throughout the British Empire. But anyway... Um, would you turn, please, to Luke chapter 6, and what I'm going to do, what I want to do here today is I want to I show you how sometimes we miss the gospel. I want to show you how sometimes we miss it and that there's a price to be paid when we do and uh, how much we need to run to it and cling to it. So if you would, please, in Luke chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 37, kind of an odd place to talk about maybe uh, grace and stuff, but uh, you'll, it'll all come together. This is Jesus talking. You'll notice in your Bible if it has red print where Jesus talks, these are in red print. This is Jesus teaching. Um, I had to go to Luke. By the way, I want to tell you a little bit about, about Mark. You're, we're going to be reading through Mark this, this, uh, this month in the month of October. And Mark, is, it's a very funny book. If you're a s- succinct kind of a guy or, or girl, if you like things short and to the point, Mark is the gospel for you. Um, you'll see in the first chapter, Jesus is, is, you know, John the Baptist come. Jesus is already healing. There's all that stuff already going on. He's overcoming demons and sickness and all this other stuff. And, uh, man, he is right on the point. Um, John Mark, um, not one of the apostles, right? One of the, one of the uh, gospels is not written by, the apostle, by an apostle. He was, though, a contemporary of Peter, believed that he heard from, what, from Peter's statements about all that it was to be around Jesus Christ at his time. And he faithfully records for us what Peter taught. Um, there in the life of Jesus Christ. So we have um, basically secondhand through, through. Um, I'm sorry, we're not in Mark though this morning. I could, well, that's what I was going to get to. I couldn't choose Mark for you today because it talks about what a great teacher Jesus well, is, but Mark in particular doesn't quote a lot of Jesus. So uh, anyway, I've got to go to Luke here this morning to uh, to teach this. It's also, this is also though taught in Matthew, you'll recognize it um, very similar to the language that uh, Jesus has in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Okay, Verse 37 of Luke chapter 6, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay, I love that parable because it's one of the things that Jesus says that you kind of laugh about. It's like, yeah, you got your, you know, you're trying to pick a speck out of someone else's eye, and you have a plank, right? Like a two by four sticking out of your own, and you're trying to help your brother out. What is it? But anyway, but Jesus says this because we have this tendency. We naturally, by our sinful nature, we naturally have this tendency to go pick out other people's problems while completely oblivious to our own. True? Yeah. Yeah, now I know you know someone like that because when you look in the mirror, you see them every day, right? I know you know someone like that, and I know someone like that because it is part of our sinful nature that it is easy for me to see sin in other people, and it is very hard to see it in myself. True. Our ego is such that it covers over our sin and makes everyone else's sin stand out like a bright light. Yeah. Um. And that's why Jesus had to teach this. This is why Jesus had to say it, is because we will take and ignore our plank to remove someone else's speck, right? I'm gonna, and, and isn't that what Jesus is saying here in, in showing these two great differences? He's, he's, he's contrasting these. He says, you're trying to pick out a, a speck, but you have your own plank to deal with, right? Uh, and uh, yeah, but what he's saying there. He also starts, though, with saying, don't judge. Do not judge. Why would he have to tell a bunch of people? Apparently, church people in these days very different from church people today. They were a judgmental group. They judged each other. They were not. They were not humble. They were picking apart each other. And unlike people today, they were kind of mean and rude that way. Um, unlike church people today, who would never hear of such a thing. Right? We wouldn't do that. We we would no no. We would be very gracious toward someone because of the grace we've received. Right? Um, yeah, it should be yeah god help us okay it preaches still today doesn't it don't judge or you'll be judged don't condemn or you'll condemn be condemned if you forgive you'll be forgiven um and don't don't uh, tend to your neighbor's speck until uh, your brother's speck until you've dealt with your plank that's coming out of your own eyeball okay um uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here and, and kind of talking about what all this could possibly mean. But, um, but here, the point that I want to get to is, why did Jesus have to teach people this? Why did Jesus have to even say these things? Isn't it obvious to you and I that I've got my own issues, you've got your own issues, and we've got plenty to deal with on our own? Isn't it obvious that we shouldn't be judging each other? Uh, you know, it would be like a couple of ants. And I, I don't mean the, the big red or black ants. I mean like the sugar ants. You know the little tiny ones. It would be like a couple of them arguing over how great the other, how great they were to themselves, to each other. You, you know what I mean? It, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever, does it? And you know, one one ant goes to the other and says, "Wow, you're really small. You are too." Right? I, mean, I mean, yeah, we're we're ants, you know. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's very similar to the way that we treat each other in that and, and judge each other. And and here's the deal: is that that I want you to all be very painfully aware of. Because of your sinful nature, you are naturally, and I don't mean good naturally, I mean negatively naturally, covering over your own sin. And you did it this morning, and you did it yesterday, and the day before that, and the day before that, because you and I, we read in the scriptures, we have a sin problem. And it is not just with behaviors. It's not just that I sin. It's not just that you sin. It's not just that you struggle with lust. It's not that you struggle with greed. It's not just that you struggle with those things, but you also struggle with your motives, right? Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, man, he laid it open. He said, yeah, you commit adultery, that's bad. But you know what? If you've lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery already. He says, you've heard, don't murder. But I'm telling you, if you've been angry with your brother, you've murdered him in your heart. Our motives are bad, too. Our motives are sinful, too. This problem that sin, with sin that we have, is not just an outward problem that we have that I just keep committing the same sins. It's a problem all the way down, way deep in my heart. And the more I peel it back, the more I see this sin problem. Right. OK? But the problem with us, because of our sinful nature, is we don't like to see it. Our ego and our pride says, don't look there. Look over there at, at, at him. Look at, at her. They've got bigger issues than you. They're, they're bad people. You're good people, right? It is the nature of our sinful nature to ignore our own sin and point out someone else's. And so what Jesus is teaching here is for crying out loud, a little humility is in, is in need here, right? We all need to be humble Before the Lord and before our brothers and our sisters, because we too are just lousy sinners, greatly loved by God. Amen. Okay, Uh, I didn't intend to really go there yet this morning, but um, I want to talk to you about this, is that here is the tendency of my heart and your heart, is that because we want to be good so badly... That sometimes you and I will wander right back into the law, and and, and what I mean is, is is law or morality or a, a code of conduct or whatever. And and here's what happens. And, and let me just let me make it real impersonal, and then I'll, I'll I'll get to you and me in here in just a moment. If you go to certain churches. If, if you go to a church that's, let's say, let, let me pick on some charismatic churches. If you go to a charismatic church, you're going to go and you're going to hear things about the way that they talk, and it'll be different from the way that you and I talk here. They're going to talk about how important it is to excel in the spiritual gifts. You're going to hear about how important it is for, for uh, them to live the uh, uh, in a way that is pleasing to God in the way that they live, especially in exhibiting the spiritual gifts, okay? Now... Now, okay, that you do that there, and those people talk that way, and they have an expectation that people are going to be that way. And then if you go and you walk into a, a Catholic church, then you're going to hear things about people uh, making sure that they're doing all the right things, that they're going to all the right places, that they're giving as they ought to give, and that'll be a whole different kind of a language. And then you're going to go to a Baptist church. And a lot of Baptist church, you'll go and you'll hear sermons and preaching on, uh, you need to be a better Christian. You need to be a better person than you're being. You've got to quit lying and you've got to quit, um, 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 you know, cursing. And you got to, you know, we don't dance and we don't chew and we don't go with girls that do. All that kind of thing, right? All those kinds of things that you'll hear in different churches. And I'm telling you what happens is that in churches, they pick and choose the parts of the Scripture that they want to apply and be like. And they tend to develop their own standards, their own code of conduct. And I'm telling you, that is legalism. Did you hear me? That is legalism, and it is alive and well in the church today, right? It is alive and well, and I don't care where you go. I don't care what denomination you're in. There is legalism being taught this morning as people are meeting across the United States in worship this morning. God help us. God help us. It is our natural tendency to, 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 to lean on legalism. And let me tell you what we do. Here's what we do. Now, the problem is, is that it's not only church that has the problem. It's you and me. See, so what will happen is that you and I will decide what's important, right? And maybe for you, what's important is that someone has all the right political thought, right? You, you know, you're conservative, and so all liberal people are, 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 are somehow worse than you. Or you're very liberal and, and people who are conservative are, are heartless or, or uh, not like you. Or um, you're very frugal and you're very frugal with your money and then you look at other people who aren't frugal with your money and say, well, I'm better than them. Or you look at people who, who, who listen only to a particular type of music and then all these other people who listen to another type of music, well, they're not careful enough with what they listen to and so they're not as holy as me. Or you look at people who give money and, and you do a really good job of tithing and giving away your money and then you look at people who don't do very good at that and you say, well, they're lousy sinners. They're not like me, right? All of that is legalism. All of that is destined to perish as uh, Paul would write. All of that is, is, well, honestly, it's a crutch that won't stand up. It won't help you. And let me tell you, mm, I, I, I've got to take my time. Somebody say, like, like we're in a, a good uh, black church. Would someone say, take your time, brother? Somebody. Okay. All right, here we go. I'm getting wrapped up. It's all right. Okay, let me slow down. All right. <clears throat> um, I think it was Martin Luther who said, the natural tendency of the heart is towards self-justification, right, where I say I compare myself against other people all the time. Well, I'm doing better at, at this than they are. I'm a better parent than they are. I'm a better uh, tither than they are. I don't grumble and complain like they do, so I'm better than them. And we are all the time, and listen, you do this. You, you're sitting right here. You do this, and I do this. We all the time are making comparisons of ourselves against other people. And what we've done is we've picked and chosen the things that we think are important and the things, listen, that we're good at, and we've ignored the things we're not very good at, right? Right? And we've said, I'm good at these things, and these are the standards of conduct. If someone's going to be a good person or a good Christian, they do these things. People who are not do, good Christians don't do these things or do do these things. And so then, therefore, I'm all right. I'm a good person. I'm lovable and acceptable to God. Uh, the church, the people ought to really appreciate me for who I am and, and what I'm doing. I, I, listen, I, 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 um, I'll set my hair on fire. I'll, uh, I'll eat a box of light bulbs. This is important stuff. There is no hope in that. There is no hope in that. And what I want to say even further than that is that if you are living that way, and listen, you are living that way. I am living that way. I have this tendency in me. You have this tendency in you to always be measuring yourself against someone else. But you know what? (laughs) Here's the fallacy of that all, of course, is that I'm broken, and I'm measuring myself against someone else who's broken. How does that work? Not very well. Not very well. Yeah, it's broken. It's like, trying, it's like taking my broken ruler and saying it to go up against someone else's broken ruler and say, hey, let's see how I'm doing. Uh, it doesn't work that way. And matter of fact, um, we all know the truth is that God in the end is not going to say, how did you do compared to everyone else? He's going to say, how did you do compared to my perfect law? And we'll all say, I'm undone. Right? Okay. But you and I have this tendency to judge ourselves against everyone else's behavior. And I want to tell you, here's the truth of it. Ready? This is going to hurt a little bit. It will keep you from jumping in with both feet to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will keep you from experiencing the transformation that God intended for you all along that is available to you in freedom in the truth of the gospel. Amen? And if you're so caught up in, in, in maintaining your own standards, and we all do this to some degree, but I'm telling you, the deal is that we got to get rid of that. When you see it, whenever you see that, I mean, pull out your 44 magnum and blow it away. you got to get rid of it. you got to say, Lord, that is self-righteousness, that is pharisaical, and it is doing no good in my life. Amen? What does good is that I might rely on the Lord Jesus Christ and his goodness. But anyway, I've got to get back in my notes here somehow. Luke chapter 12, um, just a couple of pages over Luke chapter 12. Listen to what, what Luke writes about the Pharisees. Tell me, you, we read Luke together. What, is, um, what does Luke say is, what does is, what is Luke quote Jesus is saying is the problem with the, with the Pharisees? What's the, what's the problem with the Pharisees? Why did Jesus just rail against those guys? And every time they're meeting, man, he's picking a fight. There was a Sabbath. He healed a guy. And he told him, pick up your mat. We'll go walk. Get up and walk. And what happens? He knew what would happen is that the Pharisees would see him and say, you're carrying your mat on, on Sabbath. You're committing a, you know, a crime against the Sabbath. Uh, Jesus knew full well. He was picked a fight. Matter of fact, you see so many times he heals on what day? Why does he heal on Sabbath? He's trying to make a difference, a contrast between the Pharisees and the gospel, and they're totally different, between legalism and the gospel, and they're totally different. Okay, um, I'm sorry, what are we talking about? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say was the problem with the Pharisees? They're hypocrites. What else? Generation of viper, brood of vipers. Don't you love that? You like to call your enemies that that's right why were they hypocrites because they were clean on the outside but in their heart in the inside we all know just like you and me their hearts were full of sin so they're all very careful about burying ceremonial clean and the way they presented themselves was righteous and good but on the inside well they killed Jesus Christ they plotted against him and committed murder anything wrong with that yeah these guys were these guys were torn up these guys were messed up And they wouldn't deal with their issues. They wouldn't deal with sin. And matter of fact, they'd come around to Jesus and they're like, what? There's nothing wrong with us. We're we're righteous. We're following the law. We're keeping up to the letter. Uh, No, no, no. Jesus railed against them. He said, you brood of vipers, you hypocrites. Uh, Woe to be to you and the people who follow you, you know? Okay, anyway, Um, moving on. Um, So the problem with the Pharisees, they were hypocrites. They acted clean, but they were dirty on the inside, cleaned on the outside because they were careful about how they looked, maintaining their own little set of rules. Got to, yeah, got to maintain the image. Got to be a good person. Got to look like a good person. Meanwhile, a crowd, Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Meanwhile, a crowd, mean, meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on in one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples beyond near guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school. Um, the day of Jesus Christ, the day of the uh, judgment of the throne room in the uh, throne room of Jesus Christ, everything uh, for a non-believer, everything in his life is going to be laid bare. Every motive, every action, everything done in secret. There is no secrets from God. Are there? Everything will be laid bare. Everything will be made known. Not only what you've done, not only what they've done, but also uh, what their motives were whenever they were impure. How about that? What you have said will in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. But let's back up to my real points at the end of verse 1. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Why does Jesus call it a yeast? That's right. It works its way through everything, and it spreads, and it leavens, or it makes rise the entire batch of dough, right? He says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, those hypocrites let me tell you when you begin to see a hypocritical attitude creep up in you and it will and god help us to see it but it will jesus says you got to get rid of that he says you got to get rid of that and let me tell you uh i get we got to press on here and let me tell you why here we're going to get there um here's the problem you've heard all your life that sin separates you from god right here's the problem legalism separates you from God as well, right? If I'm walking by my own rules and I'm pretty good at keeping them, right? Because they're my rules, I can pick the ones I'm good at, right? Uh, because they're my own rules. Uh, if I see that and I'm doing my own self and I'm doing a pretty good job and I'm a good person because I'm doing all the things I think I ought to be doing and not doing all the things that I don't think I, sh- that I, don't think I should be doing, uh, if I'm doing pretty well at that, I never turn and go to the gospel. I never, know, I never turn and go to the cross. I never look to Jesus Christ and say, you're my only hope. Because i found my only hope, it's me. And I've become my own savior. This is Jeremiah chapter 2 kind of territory, isn't it? Be appalled, O heavens. I have become my own savior. Um, So here we go. Both sin and trying to follow your own standards are really ways of avoiding Jesus as savior. Let's go on to the next slide there, Tim. If you strive to be good by your own standards, you're really resisting the gospel and setting yourself up as Savior. You hear what that says? When I am comparing myself to other people to make myself feel better about who I am and how I'm doing, I'm resisting Jesus Christ as my Savior. There is something in our human nature. Paul, in Romans chapter one, he writes over and over again. He says, uh, he says everyone had the knew who God was. He's made it plain by it through the creation, but they wouldn't give glory to Him. They wouldn't recognize Him for who He was, right? And then he and then he goes on and basically says is that they've exchanged the glory of God for a lie, right? Something about all of mankind, and you know it, and I know it, right? Scientists are all the time, and I don't mean scientists like you know Clay and I, but Uh, Scientists are all the time trying to prove and really trying to hold on to any sort of hope that something else created the world besides God. You know what I'm saying? Watson and Crick, right? The guys who who discovered the the double helix um, structure of DNA, right? I believe it was Crick. Um, was the the gentleman who said that this is such a complex structure, that life is so complex and it is irreducibly complex. In other words, um, it couldn't exist except that it's so complex. And so for someone to think that, that all of a sudden nothing became something and had structure and was able to create life and give life, and so ultimately what he did, what he said, what must have happened was for all of this to exist, it must have come from an alien planet. Oh, is that a lot down? This was 30 years ago. But uh, 40 years ago, probably, 1970s, probably. Um, yeah, instead of, well, what must have happened is what they're, you know, you're kind of hoping maybe well, that there's a God and he made all of this. No, that it must have come from, from some other planet, came here on a meteorite. Okay desperation right it's desperation but all the time we see in the world we see in the world that people are doing whatever they can to be able to keep from having god as their lord having jesus christ as their lord because we want to be our own gods it's true in your life and it's true in mine too though because we are all the trying trying to come up with our own means for salvation I am good enough because I do these things. I can be loved by God because I'm acceptable to him because of what I do and what I think. And I compare myself against other people, say I'm a better parent than them. I'm more frugal than they are. I'm better, you know, I wear these kinds of clothes and not those kinds of clothes. And because of that, I'm a better person. All of that is garbage. It's all garbage. Okay. The other, let's see, last thing is this. To get the gospel is to turn from both sin and self-justification and rely on Jesus' record for a relationship with God. Isn't that the purity of the gospel? Isn't that what you were taught? Isn't that what you received? Our hope is not that we would be able to somehow just get better. The Old Testament proves for generations is that people couldn't just get better. They couldn't get good enough. Our only hope is in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Amen? All right. Um, so why do we judge? You know this, right? I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm not telling you you haven't anything that you haven't heard before. This is the message you received when you came to Christ, and yet you and I still struggle with judging other people, with setting up our own means and our own standards, of, our own codes of, of, uh, of behavior. And why do we, and, and we still do it? And why is it that we still struggle with it? Obviously, it's because it's part of the sinful nature. But our problem is, is that our problems come from a failure to apply the gospel in our lives. Um, let me read from you. Um, there you go. Richard Lovelace says that most people's problems are just a failure to be oriented to the gospel a failure to grasp and believe it through and through. I'll tell you a real quick story. Uh, Timothy Keller tells us this story, and I've told this from the pulpit a time or two before, before so forgive me, but he talks about a time where his, he, had, um, he had told someone where they had asked him to do something, and he's a pastor of a church. He, uh, he, they'd been, he'd been asked to do something, and uh, um, they came up to ask him if he'd done it. And he said, oh, you know, I was going to work on that later today, and uh, I'll have that done by, by tomorrow or by the end of the week. Well, what happened was, and his wife caught him, and she said, you just told a lie. You, you had completely forgotten about that. You, you had no intention of doing that this afternoon until they reminded you. You told a little white lie, right? And uh, he says, well, yeah, but, you know, I didn't want to think that they were unimportant. I didn't want to think that I'd forgotten. Well, how come? Well, because he didn't want them to see them, to, for them to see him as, as someone who'd forgotten. He was trying to please them. Trying to, to, uh, trying to please them, trying to show himself as, as someone who, you know, didn't forget something that must be so important to them. Uh, then a few days later, um, his wife was on the phone and was, telling, was talking to someone, and she says, oh, you know, I'm sorry, we can't do that then. We have, we've got plans, and uh, we'll just have to make for another time. And then uh, l- uh, later on, he says, we don't have plans tomorrow. And she said, yeah, but they wanted us to do this stuff, and, and I just didn't want to. He said, well, you lied. And she said, yeah, but, but I didn't want them to make them feel bad. And so I, you know, the, the, what they wanted me to do wasn't important. So I just did that. So they told these little white lies. But here's the deal. Each of them, when they told the little lies, they felt like it was the right thing to do, right? But whenever they compared stories, it's like, well, you hypocrite. You just told a lie. How come? Well, because different things were important to them at different times. And let me tell you, that kind of thing happens with you and I all the time. We'll commit some sin, and we'll think, well, that's just a little minor thing. That's not a big deal. Why are you making a big deal? You know, you're so judgmental. But then we'll do that to someone else, and we'll be very judgmental to them. Oh, no, that was an outright lie. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you'd act that way. You know, a believer who's been a believer well, as long as you have, I, I can't believe you'd act like that. Really? Really? Yeah. But we do it all the time. Okay. But the problem is, is that we fail to grasp the, to grasp the gospel. Um, let me say this. How about this? When you catch yourself in a lie or you catch yourself doing something that you know is wrong down deep, even though you don't want to admit it, the gospel at that moment is not important to you. Something else is. The way you look to someone else, the way that you want other people to perceive you or whatever it is, your own standards that you've developed in your head about how you ought to act, that you've developed, whatever that is, that has become more important to you than than Jesus Christ in that moment, right? There's a word for that in the Scripture that's called idolatry, right? But anyway, okay, um, get this. This is from Martin Luther. Luther says this, The truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. In other words, this idea of what happened in the gospel is that Jesus Christ laid his life down for us and he took away our sin and left us with his, what? Righteousness, that we were declared not guilty, but righteous, not just not guilty, but righteous in the, in the presence of God. But he says, the truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. And he says this, he goes on to say, most necessarily it, is it that we know this article well, that we teach it to others and beat it into their heads continually. Don't you love that? How about that from, uh, from an old dead guy? And then we beat it into their heads uh, continually. The gospel is, you know, it's hard for us to comprehend, and it's hard for us to work the gospel into our lives. If I could use that leaven thing again and put it in a little positive spin, it's hard to work the gospel into our lives and knead it down to, into every aspect and every area of our lives. But here's the deal. Paul wrote, and I don't have time to go through it with you today, but Paul wrote that it is the full knowledge of the gospel that transforms your life. And if you've not fully implemented the gospel in all areas of your lives, then you're not going to get it all. Its transforming power comes from you taking the truth of the gospel and applying it to every area of your life one thing at a time. And it's painfully slow, isn't it? This uh, progressive sanctification thing, not nearly fast enough for my taste. How about yours? It's painfully slow. But listen, if you will run to the gospel, if you will run to the cross of Jesus Christ, if you will run to your resurrected Messiah, if you will run to him instead of your own self-justification, you know what you're going to find there? You're going to find his goodness there imputed to you you're going to find that the, there is full forgiveness for your sins there, and not only forgiveness, but justification for you that you might stand before God holy and righteous. But it is only because of what Jesus Christ has done. Amen? Let me, uh, let me close like this. Um, there was some time ago, Brenda's not here, so I can tell a story about her. Um, you recording this, Tim? Perfect. All right. Um, I remember a time when, uh, this has been several years ago, there, see, I just got out of it. That was when we were less wise than we are today. Okay, um, uh, there was a time, we had something on our check, I can't, bl- can't remember what it was, It was like, God bless you, or something that was on our checks. Brenda went, and I asked her, I said, I, you know, as well as working, on, and, and I said, I need you to go down to the bank and order us new checks, and so they were like, well, what would you like on the new checks? And Brenda told me, came back, and she told me later, I didn't want to take off those things because I was afraid that God wouldn't be, you know, pleased with that. Is it really? What's on our checks? Really? Yeah, really. Yeah, isn't that funny? She she was afraid of taking it off. She was afraid of removing it from our checks as though somehow that bought us into some of God's favor and not having it on there didn't buy us into God's favor, that God would be displeased. Is that how you gain God's favor? Now, I know you would all sit here today and say, wow, that's that's funny. Um, it, it was kind of funny. We laughed about it a little bit. But uh, But we do that in different things, in different ways, not just with what our checks say, but in different things that I'm trying to gain God's favor here. You know, leave me alone. I'm trying to work it up so he owes me something. Yeah, that works well, doesn't it? Um, we're, We're trying to gain God's favor. But watch in your own life whenever you're doing things because you're trying to gain his favor. Listen, he could not love you any more than he does right now any more that he demonstrated to you by, by Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross while you were steeped in your sin and were lost as a goose, he died for you That's right. in love, out of love. He can't love you any more than he already does, no matter your behavior, amen? If it was up, for our, up to our behavior, we'd still be Old Testament law, right? We're not. We're under New Testament grace, under New, New Testament freedom. When you think of yourself, here we go. Here, um, when you think of yourself as more spiritual than someone else, that's self justification. That's legalism, right? Because in the end, we are all unspiritual. Matter of fact, was it Paul? Reach out Romans chapter 7 one day and see if it relates to you any. Um, I've lost it. I quoted it here this morning, but I can't find it. But basically, Paul says, There is nothing good that lives in me that is in my sinful nature. There's nothing good in me. There's nothing good in me, and that we all recognize that the only good in me must come through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you find yourself comparing yourself to other people and thinking, I am more spiritual, that is, um, get rid of it. That is the yeast of the Pharisees, and it will keep you from the grace and the power of the gospel to transform your life. When you think of yourself, uh, when you find yourself comparing yourself to other people and about how you're okay and they're not okay, and you discover that you're better than they are, that is self-righteousness and you need to get rid of it because it will keep you from the transformation that's possible in the gospel but here's the deal over and over and over again what i want to ask you to do is run to the cross run to the resurrected jesus christ and there you will find over and over and over again Grace and forgiveness, justification and righteousness, all the things that you and I try to achieve by, my, by watching our external behavior and making sure that, you know, I don't talk this way and, you know, here, here you go. If you don't talk this way in, in front of certain people but you talk this way in front of other people, that's legalism. When you find yourself that you're, you're, you're muting or you're not telling everything that's going on in your lives with even your close friends, that's legalism. You're trying to hold on and trying to show yourself as acceptable to them and it's legalism, and it's dead, and it will keep you from recognizing the glory of Jesus Christ in the gospel. However, let me end on a positive note. When you see the distance there is between you and God, when you see how very deep the problem of sin goes in your heart, when you really say, you know, I acted this way toward someone, I w- I was, there was a flash of anger, and I, Lord, I really want you to show me where did that come from, and, and he begins to show you, and you're shocked, and you're stunned to find that darkness in your heart. And you run to the gospel, or you run to the cross of Jesus Christ, and you say, can you show me forgiveness? Can you change me? Can you transform me? I'm telling you this morning, that's the gospel. That's what we're running to. That's what we're, that's what we're running for. That is the goal. Whenever you see yourself and how very far you are from the holiness of God, and you go to him and you say, Lord, I am a great Savior. But in the same breath you whisper, but you are a greater Savior. That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you and I get that, our relationships get much better really quickly. Then all of a sudden, I don't have to judge you. I'm not judging you because I in humility and saying, I struggle the same way as you. I have the same issues with sin as you. And we're all together there as one group of of people, one group of believers together, all struggling with the same sin, all struggling in the same ways, looking for Jesus Christ for his grace and his mercy. Amen. That's what's intended for a body of believers, not judging, not picking each other apart, but recognizing our own sin and removing our own plank and saying, there but by the grace of God go I. Amen. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for this great salvation. We thank you, Lord God, that you've made it possible for us to come to you uh, by the, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we just this morning, we just want to contemplate on that a little bit more today. We want to look at what he's done and just remember and reflect on all that he's done today and, and, uh, and turn away from our own idolatry. Turn away from our own seeking to make ourselves a good name, our own seeking to make ourselves acceptable to other people or acceptable to you because those things are dead. But the truth is, Lord God, that you made a way for us to be accepted by you. You made us a way to be righteous and to have right standing with the Lord God so that we don't have to stand in fear in his presence, but we can stand in boldness there, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ has taken away all of our sin and has replaced it with his righteousness. Lord, we thank you for this marvelous exchange. Lord, I pray for every one of us that we would cling to the cross of Jesus Christ, that we'd cling to the resurrected Jesus Christ, that we'd go look for him for goodness, that we would go look to him uh, for our righteousness, for our our acceptability to you, Lord God, and that we wouldn't look in ourselves, that we wouldn't create our own idols, that we wouldn't be our own saviors, and so bring dishonor on you. Lord God, you are our Savior. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one. He is the one that we worship, the one that we pursue, the one that we cling to, and He is our only hope. We profess these things and accept them as truth this morning. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today.